Hi, this is Jordan. You are listening to the Evolution Exchange Nordics podcast, a melting pot of ideas and inspiration shared by some of the most successful technical leaders in the Nordic region. I specialize in the gaming industry and today I am your host. So welcome to another installment of the Evolution Exchange podcast. Today, I'm joined by Michael Strombeck, Sebastian Schleiter, and Guido Schmidt to discuss how we create high-performing teams within gaming. Before we delve deeper into the topic, let's work our way around the room with some introductions. Uh, Sebastian, do you want to kick us off? Sure. Uh, hi, everyone. Um, my name is Sebastian. Um, started my career in the, games, the game industry uh, at DICE uh, back in 2011, I think it was. Um, on uh, a DICE ship, uh, Battlefield 3 as a QA tester, then Battlefield 4 as a QA analyst, and then on to Battlefield 1 as a QA lead. Um, from there, moved on from uh, management and shipped uh, Star Wars Battlefront 2 and Battlefield 5. And after that point, changed company to Paradox Interactive, where I first joined as a risk manager, but then six months after, after that role, I got the, Got the got an offer to to uh, become a producer on the publishing side, so that's uh, that's where I am today. Brilliant, Michael. All right, hello everyone, and my name is Michelle Strömbeck, uh, also known as Mische, and I am currently working as the uh, art director for Rovio Sweden, Rovio Stockholm, also known as, uh, and I've been there for around two years. Uh, before that, I've been in the industry for around 10 years. Uh, I um, started out as a character artist and a 3D artist. So I've been kind of following in those footsteps until I became lead artist, working a little bit abroad in Malta at a company called Exient, uh, and then eventually made my way back to, to Sweden and worked as a lead character artist at Starbreeze for a while. And now I'm currently at Rovio. Brilliant, thank you for that, Misha. Sorry about that as well. Uh, <laughs> and finally, Guido. Yeah, hey, so my name is Guido. <laughs> I will get there, I will get there with the notifications, you know. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's okay. The U is silent. Uh, no, but um, I've been in the games industry for almost 20 years now. I've basically done nothing else with my life. And uh, I started at a mobile gaming company in Germany back in the days when Nokia was still making phones. Uh, then uh, I worked for quite a long time for Ubisoft, uh, mostly on the Anno and Settlers games, um, Anno Online, for example, Settlers Online, uh, and uh, also Anno 1404 and, and, uh, and stuff. Um, and uh, there was a point in my life when I wanted to do something outside of Germany. Uh, and that was kind of when I also came into contact with Paradox. Uh, and uh, I've been uh, there since uh, four years now. And uh, also I am working as a, as a game director. Although in the recent months, I've been more concerned with more principal design work regarding the game development process as a whole. So yeah, that's me. Excellent. Uh, thank you for everyone for your introductions. Um, and I will absolutely get everyone's names correct in the next round, I, I promise. Uh, so now that we've established a context to everyone, let's move on to the topic in focus. You all have a question or statement on creating high performance teams within gaming. And as usual, I'll work around the room asking each of you to pose your question and the reason behind it. Each of you will have the opportunity to give your take on the situation. Uh, so let's start with uh, Guido. 
Yes. So uh, how to create high performing teams, pretty much. Um, I think one of the most important uh, things to consider is uh, kind of what mindset you have when you approach creating a team. And um, my uh, approach slash statement is uh, that I like to feel things from the growth mindset as opposed to uh, like a performance mindset. And the difference being is like performance mindset is when in a team it, only what you deliver matters, like only your performance is important. While in a growth mindset, it's more important uh, like how well you learn, like how well you develop yourself. And um, so, so I think that is um, from my aspect, like the most relevant thing when creating high performance teams that you create an environment for the team where it is okay to make mistakes and where it is okay to learn from stuff. Because if you have like this performance mindset, then making mistakes is actually bad. It's like really bad. And therefore, people are incentivized to like hide mistakes and, and things like that, and and it, it robs them of the opportunity to yeah to, to learn to learn from mistakes pretty much. Uh, yeah, so that that I would start it off with this. So, what do you guys uh, think about that? I think um, it sounds a lot like uh, you know being being able to have an open and honest uh, conversation. Uh, with with the whole team, right? You said that some people might be um, scared of uh, sharing their failures um, and just hiding that, and that's obviously not a good thing. Um, but then, how do you get to a point where you have have like that culture in your team where you actually can uh, speak freely about things? Uh, and I guess that's. Uh, it's a tricky, tricky question, right? <laughs> True, and, and I think it flows always from from the top. So usually, like the team lead should be the first to like be open about their own shortcomings and mistakes and failures. Well, because if if mm. people see that you are open with your stuff, then it's easier for them to come forward as well. That's exactly what I was gonna say. Also, uh, it's all about building the trust with your team and your your team members and your peers. So it's all about opening up, being uh, comfortable in being honest, really, and showing that it's okay and it's okay to share feelings. It's okay to share, as you mentioned, also mistakes or learnings, as we can also say it, and 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 see it very holistically in a sense of the here was the mistake how do we plan for the future to not repeat the same kind of thing what did we learn how do we implement the learnings how do and 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 by speaking like that openly and also making people also in, in could be in one-on-ones it doesn't always have to be in a group but you know making them feel like they can speak up without getting any type of consequences or feeling judged or anything like that so absolutely opening up yourself i think is, is a great key of of at least starting to build the trust as the first steps. Excellent, excellent. Um, so, Guido, do you have any further thoughts after after Misha's answer at all? Um, I, I think it's good that we're in agreement, um, but there's are like often situations where it's not that easy. I mean, it's easy to say that you want to have this mindset, but sometimes you are in a situation where in a team you have like 
someone who is like a subject matter expert on something that is like really important to your project. And this guy isn't like, I don't know, maybe socially not the most amicable person and things like that. And then, 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 then th these are the moments that are then really important. Huh? Because if you then uh, want to follow through on uh, the growth mindset and like tell or like make sure that people can learn from mistakes, it's important that you don't give people like that too much room so that they can, uh, I don't know, drag other people down or something, even if these people are like subject matter experts. Yeah, uh, definitely. And, and also I like that kind of openness must come, as you say, from, from the team lead probably. Um, like you need to have a team lead who, who knows uh, these things, otherwise it's, it's probably never going to work. Um, so yeah. I think it's also very important to, even though that someone is a subject matter expert, that of course, you know, you can't just wild west your own kind of style. You have to also be able to adapt with your team. And, and then I, I think it's definitely up to the team lead and supervisors of that person to help that person also become a better communicator, even though that they are an expert in what they're doing. Uh, just because respect is equally as important to, to be able to grow, make them grow also. Yeah, because I think, I mean, the important entity that you have to think about is the team. It's not individuals that that win the game, it's the team. Like, even if all the individuals, like, in on average, are like, I don't know, maybe less of, ex, less of an expert than, like, this, the, this super expert guy. But as a team, they perform still better. Oh. Efficiently. <laughs> yes. Excellent, excellent. Okay, uh, on, on to the next question then. Uh, so, Misha, can we have your question, please? Absolutely. So, I thought it was going to be very interesting as a sub kind of topic to this to discuss also the current state, you know, that we're entering. We are somehow entering our first big industry post pandemic. And with that comes a lot of new challenging challenges and also very interesting kind of uh, things to discuss, such as uh, senior talent in different companies uh, all around the world are, are, you know, we all are starting to understand that um, how, how that has it been working from home, you know, even if you work small, even if you work big, uh, we kind of finally saw that, hey, it actually works working from home and we you know the output is of course different in, in depending on how your it and tech solution is wherever you've been but uh, the the you know 18 months almost of everyone working from home especially like in our industry i think of uh, it wherever we have been able to work um, work from home it's uh, people realizing that of course, also taking the leap and also saving up money, of course, during these 18 months is also a big incentive to like, hey, I can actually maybe work for myself for the coming two, three, four, five years, whatever. And maybe now is the great time to do it. So by looking at it like that, it becomes the most important for us working in bigger companies or in more stable companies uh, that we keep our employees very happy now and also feel like they have a place that they can grow that they feel challenged that they have uh, that they feeling supported that they feel that stability uh, to not be able to kind of uh, 
just like oh, and take the shot and 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 join my other senior friends because it's usually seniors in in companies or or directors that usually jump off to do their own thing, uh, and they get in contact with other senior people that they've been working with in their past. So I think that's the that's I think that's a challenge for for all bigger companies and also for for it's been a challenge for for myself absolutely. So it's about making sure that the comp the, that your team culture that uh, the way that you are working together in, in both cross discipline but also in as a group and of course in studio and and um, in feeling supported in the social aspects and everything so everything becomes so much more important right now uh, when we are getting back to back to reality uh, so uh, Let's let's start off with that. See what you guys think. Uh, that's that's a lot to take in, but I, I definitely think it's it's. Uh, I think it was my, my well, it was my manager said it like, with with the things going back to normal a bit, uh, but still, there's a lot of us working uh, from home, and that it's going to be quite a huge impact on, on how things are going to work. We just don't really realize how that. It's going to look like yet, um, but I think it it will be definitely. I'm not sure. Maybe you have those numbers, uh, but like, is there any any numbers, black or white, uh, if people are more efficient when working from home, uh, or if it's more efficient working from the office? That's would be that would that would be very interesting interesting to know. And. Uh, yeah, maybe we don't have that, <laughs> but yeah, I guess it's hard. It is hard to, to measure also. But like I have to say that before the pandemic, I also was more on the side of yeah, office work is better than remote work. But now, <laughs> now we're actually on the other side of the spectrum. Yeah, yeah. Because I yeah. love the flexibility that you that you get uh, and that you um, like the commute time that is like uh, not relevant anymore. And, and even like from a team's perspective, because like I'm sitting in, in Umeå, but I'm working a lot with the Stockholm guys, right? Um, so it still feels like I'm part of the same team because everything is all on, everything is online anyways all the time. <clears throat> so yeah, that's so a from, good point. Yeah, I, I'm kind of in the same situation as you uh, there as well. Uh, and I think another thing is like when when you're in the office and, and there for my role it can be you know i can have days where i really don't have anything critical uh, to do um but you get this stressful feeling because you're in the office and, and you feel that you have to deliver something even if you if, if no one is expecting you to deliver anything um but you know when you're at home um you might chill a bit more but you'll still be very efficient when you get to your critical task that you're about to do you're just not doing all these other minor things that you might would have done anyways but doesn't you know impact that much to be honest um that's kind of feeling i have at least yeah it's quality of life no? yeah it's a lot better especially yeah. when you have kids like like yeah. <laughs> it's like so nice and helpful if i can just drop everything for five minutes and just help my wife with the baby it's like, yeah that, that helps so much and 
Yeah, I mean, especially as you said, Guido, you know, that before, we, uh, like, certainly I was thinking that, oh, how long is this going to be? Two weeks? Maybe, oh, that would be sick. Work home for two weeks, though. You know, how's that going to work? You know, a month, you know? And then we're, you know, we're here more than 18 months later and almost still, you know, keep going strong with that. So it's, and, and this is what I think is such an, an interesting part of this topic is that people do realize and as i mentioned saving up money and like is this the time it works you know we can get people from all over the world to join us on this or people maybe that you freelance with or work with that you outsource to you know so all of these opportunities and 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 by saying you can be more efficient at home also so that is what's making it uh, i think harder for bigger companies because it's called also if you read the articles the great resignation you know during this time so um uh, yeah it's it's more important than ever to keep your employees happy i think yeah and i think it's also very interesting going forward with like hiring how that is going to change like for example in canada from what i've heard is like a lot of companies are trying like the four-day work week now because because all these people can get hired like all over the place like all over the planet by now and then these guys like ask, are asking themselves, like, why should I stay here at this company and slave away for five days a week? But like this other company gives me just like four days a week. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's oh. a beautiful topic to, be, to <laughs> discuss what could potentially happen as, you know, like, as we grow as an industry. And also, you know, all the it's more, as I mentioned, more important than ever that we, you know, what's the benefit for the actual employees right now and not for the employer? Yeah, but like as Sebastian mentioned, this I think it's also for the employer even. It's like you're not losing that much productivity anyway. Well, because like if, if you have these extra hours spent in the office, you're not using them as like super efficient anyway. Yeah. So we need a pandemic to get a win-win situation. <laughs> sort of. I mean, in that sense, the pandemic was probably good. <laughs> exactly. So a question, a question that I kind of was thinking then on the back of uh, of your guys' answers there, um, in, in terms of productivity in the working from home kind of discussion, I know for me, um, obviously the commute to the office is obviously time consuming. Commute home is time consuming. I know that if I'm at home uh, working. And I look at the clock and I'm like, oh, it's half seven. Don't start till eight. I think, well, you know what? I'll just jump on. I'll do a bit of work. I get a bit of a head start on the day. Um, so going back to the productivity side, do you think productivity is something that has increased with people working from home? Or do you think that it's people are too easily distracted in the hours that they are working? So they need to do that extra maybe 30 minutes in the in the morning or something. I would say it's extremely individual, right? So, so it, it also really depends on what type of task you have. And, you know, if you, if, especially if you're dividing your task, if you're a manager and you have certain hands-on tasks and you have certain, you know, meetings, evaluations, strategy kind of talks, tasks, it's very different when you're most effective, I would say. Uh, individual tasks, absolutely. You know, I can just take the coffee, headphones on and, and focus where some people uh, that i've talked with uh, have a really hard time focusing because they're like oh it's so you know 
I have my, I have my guitar here. I have my, you know, maybe I should start cooking food thirty minutes earlier today. You know, it's it's a lot of different things that come in the way. Also, so I think it's all about discipline at the same time, but very different depending on person and type of task. I would say. Yeah, I think it's it's especially hard for people managers. That 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 must be quite difficult to, to get a feeling of of your team, especially if there's someone you know who doesn't use a webcam or whatever. You can't really read the person. Um, but yes, yeah, as as, uh, as you say, like for for other software engineers, maybe or you know you sit in Excel the, the entire day that I do. Um, it's quite you know I can do it from anywhere, uh, and that's a nice feeling. Super nice feeling. Yeah, and I think it's it's also depending on the discipline. Like individual, of course, and then discipline. Like coders and like there's also stuff for designers, for example, and you have to like think through some mechanics or so. That then it's better than that you, when you're at home. But then of course there's also like uh, when you brainstorm, right? Just you need feedback on your on your stuff, on your on your designs and things like that. Then it's in fact better to be at the office. And also what we've what we've uh, realized is that people really miss each other. <laughs> after a while so so um, now it's sort of like an hybrid model ish thing it's where where for example i'm like going to the office once the, every other day or so for lunch just for lunch i mean i, I live really close by so i can go to lunch with, with the colleagues and so on. that's pretty nice or if we have like um, yeah uh, if, if you need feedback or a review session for a design or something then so, so I think that now we're trying to combine probably the best of both worlds, right? Now, if you want to really focus, then you stay at home. <clears throat> but if you want to interact with people and need feedback on stuff, then you go to the office. Yeah, definitely. I, I, I got back into the office in August, I think it was, and I definitely had forgot how much fun it was and how it can also be very efficient because you know you meet someone at the coffee machine and you just start talking about something and then suddenly you, you're at his desk and he's showing a bunch of things and it's like this would never happen never uh, working from home so yeah i think the hybrid version is and it sounds you know when talking to people that's that's probably what people are gonna where that's what people want uh whenever talking about this so yeah i've often seeing studios uh, going against that we're actually super close of getting into the subject of, of also online and company culture. You mentioned the coffee machine and the talk and the social, you know, that's another yeah, completely different world also. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, a lot of interesting things to discuss there. And the coffee machine is missed. Those tiny chats, right? Especially cross-discipline, because that's what you least interact with when you work from home. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, because online, everything has to become a meeting. And yeah, that's not, not happening for coffee chats. Mm. I mean, we do have like social hangouts and stuff, but like, it's not the same. Definitely not the same. Okay, but, excellent. Yeah. yeah. Oh, sorry. sorry. Sorry, did I cut you off there? Do you want to? <laughs> no, but you, you, your question on, uh, you know, productivity and if it's been, if, if people are more productive now, I think it's, it's yeah, it's very hard to say. But but again, like things, um, you know, bigger tasks, as we said, maybe people are more efficient when, when doing that. But then for the smaller things that, yeah, sure, you might do 10 things in a week, but does, it, does that make you more productive uh, if you do one thing really, really good? Uh, yeah, hard to say. Okay, excellent. Um, so 
On to the next question or statement then, uh, Sebastian. Yeah, so my, my question was, what's the definition of a high-performance team? And uh, um, yeah, when I chose that question, I uh, didn't realize uh, uh, how much <laughs> research I had to do before it, but uh, I did I did some Googling uh, and got onto <laughs> Wikipedia. Um, and I can just uh, mention here what the definition says in short. In short, um, it says, so a high-performance team can be defined as a group of people with specific roles and complementary talents and skills aligned with and committed to a common purpose, who consistently show high levels of collaboration and innovation, produce superior results, and extinguish radical or extreme opinions that could be damaging. Uh, the high-performance team is regarded as a tight-knit, focused on their goal and have a supportive processes that will enable any team member to surmount any barriers in achieving the team's goals. And that sounds great. Right. Uh, but um, I figured it might be interesting to maybe dig into more of those fancy words uh, and, and sentences. Does it say um, anything about size? Sorry? Does it say anything about team size? Uh, no, it didn't. But I only read the, you know, the, the first part of the Wikipedia page. So <laughs> there is probably some numbers there as well. Uh, I'm not sure. But, but the first part on uh, uh, where it says a high-performance team can be defined as a group of people with specific roles and complementary talents and skills. So I, I try to to think about what that means. Um, and to me, it says that you know, first of all, there needs to be a clear definition of what your responsibility is as you know, your role. Um, but it's also very important that you know the responsibilities of the other roles in your team, so that there is a very clear um, you know, ownership of, of everything. Um, and I think this is something that it's not, you know, difficult to do. I think, you know, when you start a company, your role is pretty, pretty well defined, but we don't really talk a lot about it. There is no, um, documentation can be hard to find some, sometimes about this kind of stuff. So you often land in, um, like, a situation where you have a big issue that you need to solve maybe or, or a question and you just don't know who to talk to and that process of finding the, the right person uh, can be very lengthy and that person might not even know that it's their responsibility um so yeah thoughts on that one very interesting in in, in terms of because <laughs> This is also something that could be discussed forever, right? So I think it's all it all really comes down to a lot. Uh, what are our goals with this team, with this project? What do we want from it, right? Is it to make a hundred million dollars a year? Is it to make you know an indie game where we make a decent salary for all of us, you know? Mm. Or what what actually is is it that we're trying to do? And if we compare it to something like, um, you know, hockey or or football, if what division are we playing in? What division do we want to play in? Do we have the right equipment to play in NHL? Do we have the right people around us to be able to play in NHL? Do we have the the people that are supporting the actual players in the way that they, you know they need the the equipment people, the the uh, the food managers, the masseur people, you know, giving massages. Like, do we have all of that? But you know, of course, converting that to to gaming, right? So, 
it's all about if, oh how do we get more performance out of our teams you know uh, but first of all looking at are we giving do we are we giving them what they need to be high performance if that makes sense so that could be something to also start it off with yeah yeah um on on that regard I... It depends for me, it depends a bit on the team size. If we are talking a 200 people team, then I'm much more on the, yes, we need some sort of overhead and clear roles and stuff and de define processes and things. But like for me personally, it's like the smaller the team becomes. It's like if it's if we go down to 20 people, 10 people or 70 people, then I think roles are actually more of a problem rather than a solution. Because then they start to become limiting. Because the smaller the team, the more everyone has to be a, a, like a generalist and, and the broadest user, broader skill set. And then it's more about like, what are you really? What's like your primary skill set, and what are you? What is what's your focus? Uh, an example for we have a, a, an artist, and she is also like completely able to script. She could also work, for example, and write quests and stuff like that. It's absolutely possible. But technically, she's an artist. So in her role description, there's nothing about like writing quests. So uh, I think this is also the reason why so many people don't really have a job description in the end. <laughs> or, or if they have one, then it's not really that much enforced. Because you so often end up in situations where you have to like do stuff outside of your job description to get the, the game running, to fix playability issues and whatnot. So, yeah, totally. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Sorry, Guido. No, it's fine. But that's, yeah, continue. That's my experience with, with like the smaller the team, the more generalist yeah. you want to approach it. I think that's a really, you know, good way of looking at it and definitely uh, agree with, I don't think you should limit yourself to your job description either. I think it's a limit yourself to what you think is fun, what you find fun in in and around your subject right so if you are a 2d artist for example you know if you love writing shaders you know let's find a way that you can write shaders so you can develop that skill also and that by, by doing that feeling good by by doing what you kind of like that is not maybe just tied to your description you will definitely act and be more high performant automatically you know and a little bit as a generalist we're all there to make games right some people really enjoys doing their part but some people likes to be all over the place discuss it finding putting the puzzle pieces together and i think it's very important for a high performing team not to limit them to their signed on capabilities but also ask them are you happy with what you're currently doing what would you like to do differently would you like to learn something new like what can you how can you bring that to this team and 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 yeah yeah um and like every team is unique of course because you have like individuals that come together and have like complementary sets of skills and stuff and what should what should unite a high performing team is like a common goal and and then it's I always like to have people figure out how they want to work together on their own, mostly. Uh, and and like also, what I really like to do is um, when, when, for example, the team has some aspect that they didn't really fulfill that well. I don't know. One one person in the team, uh, I don't know. The, the the design wasn't up to par for some reason. 
And then, like it was a design uh, a failure, let's say. And then say, okay, looking at the coder and say like, do you feel responsible for like this failed design? And then if the coder goes, no, then I say wrong because you're a team. So also the coder is relevant for, is, 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 is um, responsible for the design because you guys are supposed to be a team. So you, you, you win together and you fail together. So if, if, if the designer is struggling, then you ought to help him. No? And, and that's how you like create the sense of, of, of purpose and you unify. But again, I mean, it's easier in smaller teams. Right? It's, it's harder in 200 people teams. And on, on, on those scales, personally, I don't actually have that much experience to be honest. Like the biggest teams that I've worked with was like 45 people. So, but maybe in, in overview, I don't know how, how the teams, how, how big the teams are there, how you guys are, are handling that. <laughs> it's uh, so we're only at like around 75 people studio but the teams are of course small so we are ranging from like 20 to even smaller 25 and this, then smaller teams so uh, yeah I, I get what you're meaning though it's it's a lot easier to interact and to share and to to share experience and knowledge and and success and failures together when you're a smaller team absolutely coming from also me personally working in smaller indie studios where you can do rapid changes where you as a as as an artist can go to game design and say ah this doesn't feel right how do we change this you know like we're and i think that's also very important for everyone in in the team to be able to feel the feel comfortable to speak up to go to a program and like ah this button doesn't do what i wanted to do when i wanted to do it you know if you're either or whatever you're steering with you're you know you are you're making a strategy game and Oh, it doesn't feel right when I move the mouse to the edge of the screen and it doesn't go in the right speed and, you know, like making me nauseous, you know, so it should be like all of these things should be able to be a discussion and not and nothing is wrong and nothing is right. It should be a like, hey, let's discuss it and do it with an open mind. And and uh, I think leaving becoming defensive or anything like that, that's that's the way to op be the opposite of working in, in a high performance. Uh, and 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 using excuses so it's all about being honest open challenge and and think about the end product and what you want to feel what's the feeling we want to give to the player here yeah because like from my experience every team has the tendency to like slide down this uh, route of uh, becoming dysfunctional and it always starts with people being too nice or too polite it's, it's exactly these situations when, like, you put the, 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 the mouse cursor to the right and it doesn't move at the correct speed, but then you don't say anything because it's just such a minor thing. No? And you don't want to, like, aggravate the, the, the coder who did it right? because she's already stressed and whatnot. But then this, these things then can escalate right? if, if you don't, because then you're not candid about stuff. And once you stop being candid about stuff, then small problems can become bigger problems, can become huge problems. And then once they become big problems, people stop talking to each other. Then, then people have start getting like having fear of conflict, creative conflict. And then this in turn will lead to, okay, then I, I stop committing myself. If, if it's like that, then, then I, don't, I don't care anymore. And then it's just like downhill from there. So I think it's, it's extremely important to create this environment where you can have creative conflicts yeah i think 
uh, we came back to it twice uh, talking about the uh, you know the common goal and the common vision of a team and how important that is um, and yeah definitely and how that can you know help get decisions uh, made faster uh, and if it's something like you talked about you know if it's about quality then there should be a clear definition of or a clear vision of what the quality is supposed to be like for, for this specific game. And then everyone can take a decision based on, on that vision and say like, okay, well, you know, we're going to have to be extremely critical to everything we do. And it needs to be damn perfect. And then everyone is aligned on that. And so that should make conversations easier. And it also will highlight if the vision isn't solid enough in certain places. But if the vision can't answer like a question of, for example, is it more important that it looks good or is it more, more important that it plays good? Mm -hmm. I mean, it can be like either way. And if the vision doesn't specify this point, then this is the moment where you should add it to the vision. Yeah. <laughs> you should yeah. have a discussion, no? decide and say, okay, this is what we want to do going forward. We want to be consistent. So now we need to like fine tune our vision in that regard. Yeah, for sure. And it's, it's, uh, I've seen it uh, quite many times uh, other companies, but the vision is usually like, okay, we're going to make the best game three years and like we're we're gonna sell this amount of copies but it doesn't it has to be something else uh, and i i always go back to to uh, spacex when when talking about this kind of stuff because i think it's quite interesting how their vision was when they started this uh, which is like they, their goal is to reduce costs uh, for space travel uh, and to colonize mars and that's quite you know if you if you imagine working there it's quite quite easy to whenever you have to take a decision, whenever you're working on something, you know exactly what you're doing, and you can just ask yourself like, is this going to help this vision? Because it's quite concrete in the first place. So that that's why I think visions can really really help uh, and make things extremely efficient. You just have to find. It's difficult to find a good vision though. That can be really tricky. And, and, and what if you are, you, are, you are in a situation where you have something that would help with colonizing Mars, but it's like super costly? Yeah, exactly. So you can, Perfect. yeah. So, so instead of having the vision they have now, it could be, we're going to colonize Mars. Yeah, or you prioritize like points. Because like if you have certain aspects of your vision, they are bound to get into conflict with each other. And then you need to be aware of like what is even more important than the other point. Yes, yeah, but you also, I, I, I guess it's a common in game design as well, right? If you have a restriction um, for whatever system you're designing, it can be easier, right, to have some kind of creative uh, restrictions. Um, same with, with this vision that we're talking about now, like um, if, if we're going to colonize Mars and we also want to reduce cost, then that creates this environment where you have to really be creative. In a way. That's a fair point. Yes. Yes. Brilliant. Okay. Um, very loaded question that one, wasn't it? Uh, <laughs> there was lots of different aspects to go after there. Uh, so thank you for those answers. So last uh, question that we've got or last statement that we've got here, um, 
So hiring process and work ethic. Hiring is a long-term investment and it's important to find a good balance between soft and hard skills. Um, so where, where do you guys kind of stand on that one? Then I want to jump in first. Sure, why not? I think that hiring in general is, is something that is, uh, I think it should be tailored to, of course, both the candidate and for the studio. And sometimes it's just like we as a studio need to be certain that this candidate is the right person. So we're going to have 10 interviews and a work test. And, you know, like that could be a, a, a process for someone. But I just also like to really think about the type of person that we're interviewing. Who is this? And, 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 and also tailor the process to, to that person. Which does this person need to? Th that's your job as a hiring manager to make sure that you are get introducing this person to the right people, and also that if if you know depending on I usually go with gut feel quite a lot. Of course, the profile is one thing to be let through the process, portfolio a second thing to be let through the process, but then also it's it's a, a balance of I tend to go a lot more on on soft skills when I meet someone because I I I think that. Uh, we've been talking about high performance team and how you act as an individual and how you fit into the group of people that you're going to be working with every day is more important than your art is 5% better than this person if you put it in a hard skill world. And I don't think it's as easy as that. So uh, I personally tend to go a lot on, on the soft skills. How does the conversation flow? Do we have the same alignment? Are you reflecting the culture that I would want to see you bring into my team, you know, how, how, what's your vibe, what's your aura, that kind of feel, you know, like we're talking to, you know, quite spiritual light, but you know, it's, uh, I think that definitely brings out the best candidates, at least when I get to, when I have a good gut feeling and when I know the people that they're going to work with every day. Uh, that's Do you what think I about it? Is that applicable for, for all kind of, uh, you know, roles that you're interviewing for, or is it, you know? um, For me, personally, yes, I think that is a, it's a big thing for, you know, to be able to, um, to be an easy communicator, right? So you want someone to be able to do the job with, of course, the required hard skills. And it's usually the the hard skills that get you to the interview in the first place, right? So it, that's kind of, is the first step that automatically also, kind of gets you either in or out of the process so yeah absolutely i put a lot more in especially in the interview stage uh on on on, on that person level for everyone and that includes if i'm interviewing for an artist or uh more the technical person or for a studio director or for a design director for example so i i, I think that's extremely important <laughs> almost the higher up you go the more important it is of course also especially for me that's when i put more pressure on them <laughs> I actually have a question for Sebastian on this one, um, because hiring designers, I think, is, uh, is, is, is especially difficult, because when, when you hire a designer, designers usually are very well in like presenting stuff, also themselves, <laughs> so um, it's, uh, it's tricky to like see through the presentation uh, in, in that, in that sense and i think it's also because it's so hard for a designer to get like specific concrete feedback on on their work 
I think it's easy. It's easier for programmers and artists because they're feed, getting feedback on your work is easier. Right? If, you, if you produce an artwork, then it's it's easy. You can discuss around it and point at stuff and things. And for code, the same thing. But like if you produce a, a game mechanic. If you design a game mechanic and then you implement it and then uh, you have to balance it, then you have to get like actual players playing it. So like the process until you get like really valid feedback is a lot longer and it's a lot more difficult. So therefore hiring designers is really, really hard. But I was wondering with producers, uh, I can imagine it's also kind of hard to, to, to hire producers. Yeah. <laughs> like what's your take on that? Well, I, I haven't been in a process where I've had an interview for a producer. So, but I mean, the role is quite vague, I'd say. Um, so, you know, when I, when I started, for example, I wasn't really sure what I was getting myself into. Uh, it's these big words, like you're responsible for this and the quality and, and shipping things on time. And, and you're like, oh, that sounds quite difficult, <laughs> but sure, that's right. And uh, yeah, then you just got into it. But for the hiring process, I mean, you have to have someone who is uh, structured, obviously. Uh, and also, you know, especially if you're working with a studio uh, that is outside, uh, or there's a third party studio, for example, we might see it in another country, for example. Um, you know, you have to to have some some social skills, for sure. Um, and and in the, in our case, paradox, the most important thing is that you understand what makes a good game. You don't have to be you know you don't have to be a game designer. Uh, you don't have to have that experience, but you still need to understand what what makes a good game and what players are what players are looking for, um, and especially for that specific game that you're working on. Because uh, it will vary differently, um, so it's it's a it's a learning process. Um, you learn every day, and you just have to. One of the most important things I think is just playing the game you're working on a lot, so that you really understand what you're gonna you know give give feedback on um, and stuff like that. Yeah, so. it sounds. It sounds. I'm not similar. sure if I answered your question though. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's it sounds similarly difficult. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, finding good people in general is difficult. Yeah. But I like I like um, uh, Misha's uh, approach with um, going for the social skills. I think the uh, soft skills. I think that's very, very good because like changing a person's character is more difficult than like giving them training in like certain hard skills. And, and I always like when, when I interview people, I always try to get like a sense of if I get any freak vibes, <laughs> what I call it. Uh, I, I did the complete opposite of uh, going on soft skills. So this was my first interview ever, and and it was uh, for a QA position. And it was this uh, technical QA position, and, and this person, uh, he he showed that he had been you know he built this app and everything, and it was like super impressive. Uh, but then he started just he just didn't work. I, uh, you know, didn't uh, uh, could work with the team, um, so. But the, yeah, it's super hard to and to see that in an interview that's twenty minutes long. <laughs> Very difficult. But continuing a little bit on this, Guido, what you said also, you know, in the, I, I totally get what you mean with the that it's it's very challenging at least to interview and to hire top-notch game designers. 
So just as out of curiosity, as a question for you, what are your go-to, you know, your three kind of go-to meaty questions that you ask them to really get their brain going and to, you know, to dig into them? Yeah, first of all, I try to like make the whole design, uh, this whole interview process, a, a design session. Well, like so, so that we can get as close to reality as possible. Can I see myself working with the guy? Now we have like a, a specific problem that's maybe a hypothetical game, or maybe it's an actual problem that we had and ever already solved or something, but something from the real world. Uh, and then, then, then we just like sit there and discuss this design problem, and then see how they how they solve it, how they solve and approach this. And but I do have like. A, my favorite question that I always ask is like, when you think back on your whole career, what was the moment where you screwed up the most? What was your biggest screw up in your in your career? And uh, like, what was what, what would you do differently next time? And, and the reason I'm asking this basically is because I want to get an understanding of how reflective a person is, like how, how much are they thinking about themselves and, and the work they do? And the best answer I've gotten in, uh, to that question was actually, I didn't do mistakes. <laughs> so, okay, <laughs> sure. I'm Terminator. <laughs> yes. Hired. <laughs> <laughs> like reflection, self-reflection zero. So, okay, yes. Excellent, excellent. Um, so we'll leave it there then. So this has been the Evolution Exchange podcast. I want to take this opportunity to thank my contributors today, uh, Guido, uh, Misha and Sebastian for providing their insights into the topic. And thanks everyone for listening. If you would like to get involved in one of our upcoming podcasts, reach out to me on LinkedIn or by email at jordan.lound at evolution-nordics.com. And we will see you all next time.